All right, welcome to the Canadian Church Planting Podcast. My name is Ben Jolliffe. I am the host of the show. Today we have with us Paul Vandenbrink. Paul planted a church in Dundas, Ontario. Uh, his church recently bought a building. We'll talk about that. We talk about planting after turning 40. We talk about small town slash suburb life, changing denominations to plant a church, plus a bunch of other stuff. Paul is one of my favorite people. He's a good friend, and I'm excited to bring you this conversation with him. This podcast is sponsored by The Grace Network. The Grace Network is a church planting network in Canada. It isn't big, but it is Canadian. Uh, It's nationwide. They are serious about helping churches plant, replant, revitalize, fund other church plants, and train planters. You can find out more about The Grace Network at gracenetwork.ca. If you'd like to get in touch with me, if you'd like to recommend a topic or a guest, if you have a terrific joke about Presbyterians, please email me at canadianchurchplanting at gmail.com, canadianchurchplanting at gmail.com. All right, on to the show. All right, we are on. We are live. Uh, Paul Vandenbrink, welcome to the show. Nice to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. Okay, first question. What is it like planting a church in the same small town where you pastored a church? Yeah, that's a uh, that's an interesting story. So I actually uh, pastored in the area where I'm planting for about 10 years before uh, I started planting Grace Valley Church. And it's we're in a bedroom community of the city of Hamilton. So we're we're a small town right beside and I mean literally right beside the city of Hamilton. So it's kind of It's like 15 minutes to like downtown or yeah. 20 minutes or something, right? Yeah. yeah so okay. it's kind of it's kind of unique because technically we're part of the city of Hamilton, but it very much feels like its own town Dundas. But anyhow, um I pastored here in an established church for a little over 10 years before I started planting and I found it was a huge advantage for me. Hmm. because we knew the area. Uh, we were already involved in different community things in the area. We knew people, even when it was time to kind of recruit a, a launch team or a core team, we had people that we could talk to. And we we kind of understood the rhythms of the town and what the needs of the town were. We didn't have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out, okay, what kind of people live here and what are these people interested in or what are the needs of these people, that kind of thing. Um, and so I was really glad um, to be able to plant somewhere that I had so much background kind of information on already. And then the other side of it is that, you know, we had four kids and at that time we, uh, they were aged 15 down to 10. And, you know, it's always a, a tricky question for a pastor or a church planter, you know, when is a good time to move my family? Um, because, you know, they've got roots and relationships and stuff. Um, but we didn't move far. Like we literally moved, I think three kilometers. Okay. Something wow. like that yeah. <laughs> from where we had been living. So their whole community basically stayed the same, you know, their friends, their school, all that kind of stuff, their sports teams and everything. So, so that made the transition easier for, for them, for sure. Um, because it wasn't like their entire world changed, just their sort of church life changed. Now, I feel like the big drawback or the big question with planting in the same town where you've pastored is assuming people at your old church liked you, which I guess is a little bit of an assumption, but 
how did the established church react or how did like did a, did a number of people leave it? I feel like that would be the main question, especially in a small town that, you know, did, did you kill one church just to plant another or just how did the, how did the relationship with the established church go when you left to plant? Yeah. So um, actually it, it went incredibly well, to be honest with you, because uh, the church. So I I thought a lot about that before I planted because I had in my mind this particular place to plant. I wanted to plant in Dundas. I saw a town um, that had, you know, 25,000 residents. It had seven churches at the time, and five of those churches were mainline churches. It had one Pentecostal PAOC church. It had one Baptist church. Uh, I think it's it's a convention Baptist church. Then it had Catholics and mainlines. And there was like a a real need for vibrant reformed slash Presbyterian gospel witness in that town. So that's where I wanted to go. It wasn't like I just had an urge to plant a church. I had an urge to plant in that, in that place. And that obviously presented a problem because I was living, you know, as the crow flies about two kilometers away from the place that I wanted to plant in an established church. (laughs) Right. right? Pretty close. Yeah. But where I wanted to plant. So the escarpment plays into this a little bit. Okay. Dundas is in the, is in the Valley. It is the bottom of the escarpment. The church I was at was outside the Valley on top of the escarpment or the Hamilton mountain, as we like to call it, because we don't know what a real mountain looks like. (laughs) We're, (laughs) We're terrible for that. Anyway, and, and the church I was pastoring was pretty lur- rural, and Dundas would be a suburban, semi-urban kind of community. Um, and so um, it was a very different place uh, than, what I, than, than where I was. So when I decided to plant, I decided to do it with the PCA because the PCA had a, had a, a strong track record uh, as a reform, conservative, theologically conservative, reformed denomination that was serious about mission and evangelism. And, and was, you know, from, from that narrow definition of church, conservative, theologically reformed Presbyterian, there aren't a lot of denominations that have great success in church planting. PCA is sort of it. Anyway, and I was theologically aligned with the PCA. So I was changing denominations. I was leaving the denomination I was a part of in order to plant the PCA church. And that helped in a way because um, you're, you are worried a little bit of people from your, you know, the mother church or from your, the established church sort of leaving with you because, oh, I want to be part of this cool thing. But if you have to leave, um, if you have to leave to join another denomination, that's a bigger step than just leaving one church community for another church community. Um, so so that helped things. But the church that I left, they were so good about it. First of all, I asked them if I could approach three families to join me. And they said, yes, I can approach those three families. And I did. And those three agreed to come. The other incredible thing is, is that I was living in a parsonage or a manse at this church. And I was trying to find a house in Dundas to live in. And they agreed to let me live continue living in that parsonage after my resignation for seven months rent free 
while I tried to buy a house in Dundas. They were incredible. Oh, that's you know, a lovely, lovely story. That's huge. Yeah, so encouraging. Yeah. So it was weird, I'll be honest, a little bit weird to be, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon or something. I'm standing on my deck and I'm seeing my former parishioners rolling into <laughs> church for a meeting or something right. and waving to them. Right. <laughs> um, but it actually was pretty incredible. And, um, you know, they had some some denominational officials come to talk to my church about what had happened with me leaving to plant a church. And they were trying really hard to find out where the tension was with us. And, you know, how did this relationship break down? And the leadership at this church, they said, you know, if you're trying to find something, it's just not there. He just had this calling and we wanted to bless that calling. And that's it. I know that's not the typical story and I'm extremely grateful for it. Yeah. Well, it's such a, it's an encouraging story. Like it can work in in a small town where everyone knows each other, you know, where, where all those relationships exist that, you know, still sort of like beautiful gospel things yeah. can happen. And I still see those people pretty regularly. Yeah, that's right. right? And <laughs> and they still walk by your, your new place great, or whatever. Yeah. Right? So totally. It's cool. Now you planted after a number of years of pastoral ministry. And so you don't exactly fit the, the stereotype. If there was a church planting stereotype of a 23 year old, you know, whatever, uh, you did. You did at least ten. You said ten years at at the church uh, in, in the small town, um, and then transitioned to to church planting. Why make the change? Like maybe and maybe outside of like a, a mysterious sense of calling from God. But you can you can reference that if you want to. But what was going on in you that that made you want to make the change at, at this point of life? At this point of pastoral ministry. Well, I had. I had been in this congregation for 10 years and over the course of that 10 years, it was an absolutely wonderful experience um, left on very good terms. I would say from my perspective, and I think probably from most people's perspective, it was a fruitful ministry. Um, We, we grew uh, in numbers and I know numbers isn't everything, but you know, numbers are something. And so we grew and we, we saw conversions and we saw people who had grown up in the church say, you know what, I'm, I'm discovering the gospel for the first time, sort of spiritual renewal. It was a really wonderful, rich time. Um, and while I was there, it's funny, when I first got there, I, I, so you may not know this about me, but I didn't get an MDiv. Um, I got an MA at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. So I never learned like I never took any preaching courses or anything like that. <laughs> you just you're just like, making that nothing. part up. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so when I got this, when I took this church, I'm like, now I got to figure out how to preach to these people because this is a big part of my job. So two I, two services too, or just yeah, one? Yeah, two services, two services okay. plus teach catechism in the middle of the week. So like, there's a lot of teaching preaching going on here. Um, and so I had um I had taken a module course with. Tim Keller, when I was at Westminster, he was already at Redeemer and um, he taught a module course that, and he, I just was super intrigued by this guy because the way he talked and stuff. So when I got to Cal, when I got to this church, I, I just basically scoured the internet. This is 2005 before he'd like really blown up for everything that he had ever said or written. <laughs> and I just devoured it for like two years. And, um, I really learned how to, like, how do you communicate the gospel well? Basically through that process. Doing it a lot, because I preached twice a Sunday, new ser- new sermons, uh, new, two sermons a week, plus teaching this catechism class, which is basically trying to teach theology to teenagers who 
don't want to be there. So you've got to figure <laughs> out how to make this compelling and interesting, yes, right? that's right. That's right. Um, and so I had a lot of reps. Um, and I, so while I'm, while I'm learning this stuff, um, Keller's influence on me uh, about the, the purpose and mission of the church just grew so that by the end, I, I, I knew that the mission of the church was something that the, the established church I was in had not yet fully grabbed onto. It was a, a, a great theologically solid church with Bible-believing, people-loving people in it, but it was kind of an, an, a bit of an insular community at times, right? And so I just realized that there are structures to the established church that are extremely hard to dismantle um, because they, they're so deep. And those structures were sometimes an impediment to kind of gospel witness in the community. And so I, I had received actually a call to another established church um, shortly before we, we church started church planting. And when I visited that church, another great church in another part of Southern Ontario, great people, all that kind of stuff. I was like, this is, this is awesome, except they have the same issues as my church. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting like, it's like a slightly different container, yeah. but the same thing inside. Yeah. 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 You know, maybe a little bigger, maybe a little more money, you know, but, but sort of the same, the same thing. And I realized like I, the way I want to do church, I don't think I'll be able to do in an established church. I have to kind of start from the ground up. Um, and, and I, the reason I didn't do that when I first was ordained was largely because I just didn't think I was qualified to church plant. And I was right. Interesting. Yeah, I was right. Um, <laughs> and you were right. <laughs> oh, I was so right. Um, so, so I, I'm very, very thankful that I did not plant straight out of seminary or after doing a short internship somewhere. I'm glad that I was in the trenches of an established church for a bunch of years to hone my craft, so to speak, before I launched out into a church plant. Well, it's interesting because I, I have a bunch of guys in my, in my life that I've met, met along the way in church planting who who went into church planting, you know, quote unquote, a little bit later than normal, you know, whatever that's like late thirties, early forties or whatever. And it's like a lot of them have planted very healthy churches. Cause I think when you're 25, you're trying to, you're trying to learn everything. I'm trying to learn how to preach. I'm trying to learn how to talk to youth. I'm trying to learn how to whatever, do, do all the things at the same time as having all the stresses and problems of church planting. And sometimes like maybe that concoction you know, it's a little bit, a little bit too much to drink all at the same time. But a lot of guys who are, you know, yeah, mid, mid, mid thirties, late thirties, early forties, like it does seem like a good time. Like, I think I, I've heard that story a couple different times and I think there's maybe something to it. Maybe we should convince some like 42 year olds to go plant some more churches. Like it, maybe they're at a healthy point in their marriage and family life. And, you know, I don't know. I think it's, it's an interesting point. One of the aspects of that, or sorry, do you want to jump in there? Oh, I was just going to say, I, I, I completely agree with you. Like I was 40 when I started and maybe what we have to do is we have to sort of play on that midlife crisis. Like, Hey man, <laughs> yeah. you could buy a sports car or you could <laughs> plant a church, man. You know, yeah, you, that's want, right. you want a thrill. Try doing that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if Jesus started at 30, maybe we all need 10 more years, you know, something like that. I, I say as someone who planted a church at 30 and 
you know, learn some things along the way that I wish I had known, you know, previously. Well, one of those dynamics of planting church late 30s, around 40, is your kids are older. I planted when my kids were babies. We had we had multiple children in the midst of like planting. We almost had a child on our very first like launch Sunday. It was very close. My wife was not happy with me that I they planned this. It worked out in fairness, but only by the grace of God. But what's it like planting with older kids, like and and teenage? I think you'd said your your oldest was was a teenager. Youngest was, uh, you know, whatever in grade four or five or something like that. Like what what's it like planting at that with kids at that age? That actually probably is the hardest part. Like that's if there's if there's a downside to planting at the age at which I did, I would say it was, it was that it was somewhat hard on my kids because so for the first year of planting, you're not, you're not worshiping regularly with a group, right? I mean, at least the way I did it, you're I, gathering yeah, your you with spe- a, Yeah. Big group. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're gathering people, you're having Bible studies, you're, uh, sort of doing a lot of implanting that church DNA that you want in the people, that kind of thing. So then your, your family doesn't have a church to regularly worship at. So we were, so we were in this established church that had kids their age and programs that they were involved in. And they liked that church. And I liked that church. Like we, that was a great place. Yeah. You You liked it for them. Yeah. Yeah. And you pull them out of all of that. And then they're just like aimless to some degree. Um, so, you know, you're visiting different churches on Sundays because you might be preaching and then talking about your vision because you're always fundraising, it seems like. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, for like a good season often, yeah. Yeah, or they would worship um, whenever possible at another um, PCA church nearby at New City in Hamilton when I was out visiting elsewhere. But they didn't want to invest know anyone there. in those communities yeah, because right. they're, yeah. they know this isn't going to be our church. And they're in that awkward age, right? Like, so now we're saying my youngest is 11, my oldest is 15, 16. They don't, they don't want to make new friends and join a new youth group and stuff. So we, we actually, we, we kept them in a bunch of the ministries at the old church for as much, as long as we could, like youth group, uh, boys club, girls club, this kind of stuff. And that was good. Um, but you know, strangely enough, I don't know why it happened this way, but they say that when you plant a church, oftentimes your church is going to kind of look like the pastor's family, like that's yeah, a like demographic the that you stage. will, yeah, that's right. That's the demographic yeah. you'll attract. That did not happen for us. So we had, when we first started, it was everybody was younger than us. Virtually everybody was younger than us. And so we had, when we started, we had lots of babies and toddlers and maybe a few five and eight year five to eight year olds we had no teenagers yeah your 13 year old was thrilled oh great yeah there's 10 more babies (laughs) like we have no youth group for them like nothing and that was that was hard for them it it really was and sometimes i i wonder like how have they how have they come out of that i mean they all go to our church and we're thankful for that and they participate and stuff but we sort of wonder sometimes you know did they miss out on that sort of youth youth camaraderie that you get in a tight youth group and that kind of thing yeah and especially if there's like yeah if there's 10 or 15 or 20 kids like that sometimes those become like your great friends that you have for a long time and exactly and the other thing is that when you know we thought oh this is this is good you know our kids are older so they need less of our time etc but you know 
whether you're church planting or not, a pastor's life is a lot of evenings out. And when your kids are little, you can put them to bed and then go out. When they're getting older, you're like dropping them off at volleyball practice and then you <laughs> try right. to go out and then you pick them up and yeah, in, now they're between, going to a friend's yeah. house. Like it was, it was in some ways that, that part was actually harder. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause like early in church planning, my wife's like, as long as you stay till seven 30 every night, like do whatever you want after that. Yeah, there you but go. Like, yeah. But now I come home from meetings and like now my like almost 12 year old daughter, like she's still awake. Like I got home from the meeting and she's still like, Hey, you want to do something? You want to play a game? Yeah, right. You want to, yeah. I have some things to talk to you about. And it's like, Oh, this is, <laughs> This is different than at the start. Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. Now, you've talked about Dundas a little bit. It's kind of like part small town. I mean, originally small town, and now it's kind of become part suburb. I think a lot of folks live there and are driving into Hamilton or work, or, or, you know, some days get work going into Hamilton for work. What are some of the the challenges, but also maybe the joys of planting in that kind of a place? It's a bit unusual. It's you're not downtown in a big city. Um, And so what's... What's what's the joys and sorrows of the the challenges of, uh, of being in a place like Dundas? Well, um, everybody wants to live in Dundas. I mean, I don't. Like, you know, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but if you if you if you live in the Golden Horseshoe, um, Dundas is sort of one of these places where people want to live. Uh, so even if they're, you know, they live in Oakville, they they want to retire in Dundas, for example, because it it is picturesque. It's beautiful. It's uh, a huge a huge hotspot for cyclists. Uh, and hikers and stuff because we have all these hills, right? All, all so the escarpment can, stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. You can cycle, and then and then you've got like just farms north of us, so people cycle on these concessions for kilometers, and then they come down into Dundas, and they strangely enough they have a coffee. Like this is something oh, in yeah. the cycling community, oh, yeah. coffee, and they're all in their like so tights these, and stuff, and then they yeah. sit there and drink their coffee, and then do another hundred kilometers <laughs> afterwards yeah. or whatever. Yeah, sure. Exactly. So it's, it's a, it's an interesting place that way, but what is really neat is that, so you got the small town feel, it's very picturesque, et cetera, but you are, you are literally a five minute drive from McMaster university, one of the big universities of Ontario. Right. So we have, we have quite a few like McMaster faculty uh, who live in Dundas. We have quite a few uh, people who work at the hospital live in Dundas. So it's a, it's, it's kind of a white collar town um so that makes it expensive yeah house prices i'm sure like just like a lot of places but yeah it's brutal it's pretty brutal young people like trying to have trying to have young people be able to settle around here is tough it's it's really tough um but it and and it's also difficult in the sense that like if you're you're trying to reach this community with the gospel you have all these put together well-educated, quite successful financially, um, you know, academic in, uh, in their, their vocation or in their job, uh, you're trying to convince them that they need a savior. And that can be, they're like, from, from hard. what? <laughs> like everything's, yeah, everything's pretty exactly. good. <laughs> I'm living the dream. What do like, you mean? You moved to Dundas, you know? especially in like maybe the last five or 10 years. It, it means you've won at a lot of parts of life. You're, 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 you're rich enough, uh, successful enough, uh, mobile enough, you know, whatever you have enough enoughs that you like, what, what do you mean? Saved from what? Yeah, exactly. Like you kind of, you've arrived. Um, so, so that is a real, that is a real challenge, a real challenge. Um, uh, but uh, the other side of it is, is that there's also this um, 
there's this other part to the community where you have people who are on low income, fixed income, social assistance that are kind of underserviced in Dundas because all the services for these types of folk are downtown Hamilton. So they got to get on a bus and go downtown if they want help with almost anything. Especially because you're part of the city of Hamilton. So like when Hamilton thinks about its uh, you know, underhoused community, it's like, well, we'll just we'll set up something right downtown for them or whatever, but not not necessarily in Dundas. Yeah. So we've had we've we've had great success in kind of ministry of mercy to uh, that subculture or whatever you want to call it or demographic within within Dundas. Um, and, you know, it's been it's been a real blessing because in all honesty, you know, our church is made up of, I would say, kind of middle, upper middle class, successful people. Um, and for them to have interaction with people who don't have the same story has been been very, very good for them as well. And it's been an opportunity for us to 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 see some of these folks who are in need um, for us to display the gospel in tangible ways for them, uh, that they've been open, like they've been more open than, you know, some of the wasps in the neighborhood, if I can put it that way. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. You don't always think about that. Some of these outlying places like Ottawa is the same where we've, we've kind of swallowed up some of these villages. They're technically part of the city of Ottawa. And I'm sure they have folks who are who need different kinds of assistance, but nearly all the services are in the city proper. And, uh, so what, you know, how do they, how do they access a food bank? How do they access, you know, legal services, you know, like whatever, whatever it is they, they exactly need. Um, you were recently able to acquire a church building, which, you know, I'm extremely jealous about, um, yeah. and, it, and it's a, a very cool historic brick, you know, church building, but how does, I'm more curious. I mean, the story, it feels like a story for a different day, but how does it change the dynamics of a young church to move from, you know, a lot of us are, are worshiping in, in gymnasiums, community centers, uh, you know, stuff like that. What kind of, what changes for a church when it moves into its own building? What have you noticed in the last, I think it's been about six months, eight months, something like that, uh, since you've gotten the building, what, what, what's changed for you or for your church? So we've been in the building for about 10 months and... Oh, 10 months. I'm behind. That's yeah. okay. Um, but so still not really that long. Um, yeah, not, not even a year yet. Right. Yeah. But we've, we've already seen changes happening. Um, so so there's, neg- there's obviously negatives and positives. So the negatives are the people who, are, who were lifting a lot of weight um, to pull off Sunday worship services or open their home for different ministries or whatever, because you didn't have a central location for things. Um, those people aren't doing that. So, so for some people like that was the way they served. They, they loved setting up chairs. They loved making sure the communion elements were there. They loved, uh, you know, sweeping up and cleaning up. Like, like real practical, their, like tangible concrete yeah, jobs. Hands-on yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, now there, there's less of that. Um, and so, and uh, what ends up happening is, is those people, you know, they, they have to kind of reconfigure their, their ministry within the church community. And you have to try to help do that. <laughs> um, so that's, that's kind of one of the negatives. Um, but most of them, I would say most of the changes have been pretty positive, although they have negative consequences. So what I mean by that is, 
we we now we we are able to offer ministries now that we simply were unable to do. So right. you needed a like space have, to host it in. Yeah. yeah, like we have a gym. Okay, so we've got a bunch of retired folks who said, "Hey, let's start a pickleball league," because like that's the new hot thing, right? So they just do, and now there's people in town in the neighborhood who come to pickleball. They haven't spent they haven't stepped foot in a church for decades, but now they're coming to a church and they're mingling with Christians and in a, in a ministry. Right. So you have things like that. Um, obviously, uh, we've, we've attracted some media attention because the, the building we bought is kind of a historic building in town and stuff. And to hear that this church bought it, you know, so that has led to, um, like a bump in attendance. Uh, so there were Christians, there were Christians who were leaving Dundas to go to church. Like, like driving you know, on, on Sunday morning, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So they're, they're evangelical believers. They're going somewhere to go to church. And then they heard about this church plant that was starting, but they weren't really into, they didn't want to invest in that community if they didn't know it was going to be around. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like you what buy a, a building. What if you're a crazy person. Yeah. That's yeah right. You know, are they a cult? You know, how <laughs> yeah, long that's will right. they sure, last? Lots of questions. Kind of yeah. Yeah. And now, now we buy a building and oh, they you're, go, you're okay, a real church now. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not fly by nighters. They're they're going to be here, you know, for the long haul. And so we've had a big, quite a quite a a, a jump in attendance, um, which is exciting. But but now the 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 trick is how do we enfold all these new people into our church that has a distinct mission and goal for what we're here for and the way we want to, if I can just say it, do church, right? Because you have people who are now, they're coming for different reasons. They're not just coming because they go, oh, I've always wanted to be part of a church plant or, oh, I love the town of Dundas. And now there's a it's church a in my to town that can, yeah, meet, right. <laughs> yeah, that, that can meet the the gospel needs of the, the town I'm in. Now they're, they're like, oh, cool. They got good worship and they got a half decent Sunday school for my kid to go to, stuff like that. So they so they start sort of attending, but it's not like they've necessarily bought into the mission and vision vision of the church. And we don't want to dilute the mission and vision of our church. So we have to we have to find ways to integrate these people into that. Um, so that's that's a negative consequence. The other thing is, and it's been, it was exacerbated obviously by COVID, but I think when you have a, when you have a building and you have a growth spurt, this is a, another problem is just, uh, community bonding. Like, yeah, there's, are, are you making friends? Do you know, feel like you know people? And yeah, yeah. Like, does this church feel like a family? Because, uh, if it is, it feels like the reunion that happened, you know, once every 15 years, that's how well you know each other as family. And we ha- we're trying to foster that, just like a lot of churches are. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, especially I mean, in the in the rearrangement that COVID brought, a lot of us are like, hey, twenty five percent of my church is different than it was. You know, some people moved out, some people moved in, and lots of people just relocated for work or from work from home, or you know, all those kinds of things. And all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, who belongs here? Who do they yeah. know? Who are who are totally. they friends with? Do I have any friends left? You know, yeah. like you're a lot of people are trying to trying to figure that stuff out. Um. We, we've talked about 
our, 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 both of our desires to plant daughter churches, you know, out of our, out of our current churches. Um, and you've talked about there, there are small towns, uh, out and beyond Dundas and we don't have to name any names, but I'm, I'm kind of curious of the process is like, how do you help a, a still kind of young church, even if it's kind of growing, got it, got it, whatever, a couple hundred people there or whatever. Um, how do you help a still young church and maturing church get ready to be a mother church? Like, have you thought about that process or how do you begin thinking about what, what a daughter church probably in a different town could look like? Uh, I think for, for me, I was very intentional when I planted the church to emphasize that we wanted to be a church planting church. So everybody who's kind of come to this place, they've heard somewhere along the line that this church doesn't, we don't want to grow to become like a destination church where you have like, 800 people from all over the place, two or three services a Sunday, that kind of stuff. Our leadership, so we now have a session, so we are no longer a church plant. Elders for the non-Presbyterians listening that's in. That's right. Yeah, that's there right. There you go. Yeah. Um, so we have um, we have kind of set a number where we said when we reach this number of sort of regular attendance, we are going to we're going to seriously look at planting a church, hive off a, a, a bunch of people. And so what you do is, is you look at where are those people coming from and you look at the need, um, needs around you, what, what communities around you have a need. And if you have kind of a matchup between, Hey, we have 10 families from this local area driving to Dundas to come to our church and the area they're, they're leaving is ripe for a church. Well, maybe that's where we're going to focus our attention on planting a church. And I actually think like, this is related to your last question. Like, what are the things, what are things that you, um, that have changed? What, to keep that missional sort of drive in a church, I think one of the best ways to do that is to always have church planting on the front burner of that church. So, so I always tell people when they become members of Grace Valley in the membership class, I say, you know, you may love this place, but you may be asked somewhere down the line to leave this place. Like, don't become so in love with Grace Valley Church that you just have to stay here forever because God may call you through your leadership saying, we want you to go worship in that town now because that's where you live and we're starting a work there. And I know you have good friends here, but for the sake of the kingdom, we're asking you to go there. And and if everybody sort of gets that that's the, the vibe you know what I mean? Um, I think that helps a lot in in keeping that missional kind of vision in front of your community. I think it's really interesting because so in a big city like we're 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 near ish to downtown Ottawa, and it's really hard to tell like. Basically, when we think about, oh, we'd love to get a group of people to move to this part of the city and plant a new church, but the city's so connected, it's like, well, where where exactly do you draw lines? Because wherever you draw the line, someone's like, well, I'm just on the other side, so I don't really need to go, <laughs> or, or 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 whatever. I'm on the inside of the line, but I would like to be on the outside because I'm excited about a new church. But small towns offer an interesting feature because you're like, look, there's like... There's, there's 10 kilometers of empty highway and then, and then we run into the next town. And so you're either clearly from, um, the next place or you're, or you're from Dundas and it's a little bit easier maybe almost to establish an identity of like, oh, you're, you're kind of from there. Now, if, I guess if you live in the country in between, that's a little bit trickier, but if you, if you live in town, uh, in the next place over, it is a little bit more straightforward in some ways. 
Oh, totally. And actually, we have we have a bunch of advantages for this because we're also this small town down the escarpment. So we have people. We have people from the country who drive down the escarpment to worship at our church. But one of the places we're looking at to plant a daughter church is on the escarpment. So we can say to those country folk, well, look, like you do your shopping and stuff. Let's be honest. You do most of your shopping and stuff in that town, not in Dundas. Really, you could be going to that that church. Yeah, like your, that's your life the is there. community that you Yeah, know. your community's yeah. there. Your, yeah. your kids are in that town's soccer league, not in Dundas's soccer league, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, the other advantage we have is that that the distance between these smaller towns that are still connected to the city of Hamilton, they're, they're like five kilometers. So it's pretty, it's pretty easy to have 10 families from a town, like the next town over when the next town over isn't that far at all. Like that's, that's, that's only a few minutes drive if they're driving in for church. Um, Exactly. 10 minutes, maybe 15. Yeah. So it, we're we're very fortunate that we like Dundas is a very closely like when when I first planted it's so funny when I first planted Grace Valley if people were coming from another town and couldn't and and didn't have um, like a really good reason uh, not to I would I would pressure them to move to Dundas <laughs> and I would say well if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna be part of this church yeah you gotta be gotta live be closer here, sure. live in the community yeah. right like yeah. you. You know, you're 50, you're empty nesters, you work from home, you don't have to live up there, you can come down here. And I would be pretty pushy on that. Um, now, I'm less pushy. You're like reversed. Like, don't, don't move to Dundas because <laughs> I want to I plant another church in that town where you're coming from. You got to make, make the economic argument. Like, look, sell your condo in Dundas. And if you move north and west or something, then that's ah, it's only 75% of the cost. Yeah, I don't know. I think most of the areas around Dundas are actually more costly. Oh, okay. Than oh, never mind. Itself. Never mind then. <laughs> can't can't appeal to a financial motivation. Um, that's cool. So for you, but for you, it was a number. It's like, hey, when our church hits whatever two fifty, it's like that's the time we really got to think about it. Not necessarily any other any other or do any other any other metrics, any other things that you can measure or a gut feeling. Is it anything else you're looking for? Honestly, that's sort of been that's been it for us because like, so our, our sanctuary holds, if you pack people in cheek to cheek, I think <laughs> yes. it holds 340 people. Okay. That's like the, the so number on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. So realistically it holds 300. Yeah. Like, right? and, and that would feel really full if, if you had 300 folks in very, there. Very full. Yeah. Yeah. So we've said, if we're starting to see regular attendance and we take, we don't take attendance, but we do a head count every Sunday. Um, if we see that we're at 275 every Sunday, basically, um, it's time for us to start looking at planting somewhere because we're reaching that point. So I don't, I mean, I don't know a lot about the church planting literature, but I've been told when a church reaches 80 to 85% attendance, it's very, very hard for it to grow beyond that simply because of all this sociological stuff I don't understand. Fine. If that's true, though, there are people who could be coming to Grace Valley who aren't because we're too full. Yeah. There's, there's a so, feeling. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So we need to make we need to make the space for that. And then we would look at, 
you know, where, where are some of these people coming from and where could we, where could we start another work? Now we'd probably, we'd probably do it, um, similar to like having us like starting it as a campus. I was going to say, is this like Grace Valley somewhere else? Or is this like some other, uh, you know, what, some like a very different kind of church with a different ethos uh, or, or at least a different name and stuff like that? Like, are you, would do you, do you have a way that you're leaning at this point? We're leaning toward a, like a campus model to start. Yeah. Um, that might partly, grow into its own thing over yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Partly because honestly, and this is why you're doing this podcast in part, we can't find a like a church planter who's ready to go, but we could find a site pastor. There are lots of people who I think would be capable of being a site pastor, um, but maybe don't have the whole sort of set of gifts or whatever you want to things. call them. So, yeah, 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 that kind of stuff. Um, so if you want to do something <laughs> and you don't have the guy to do the thing you really want, um, you find the guy who close most closely approximates what you want. Well, I think the solution is just staring at us, Paul. You have to move <laughs> to the church plant. You find you find you find some other guy to take over uh, Grace Valley, and uh, we just just run it back. You you know you know the playbook, right? There you go. Yeah, maybe I <laughs> should. If we if we said forty year olds are great, then late forty year olds are. I don't know, better? man. Like that. It's funny. It's funny because I've talked about this with with some other guys who are sort of in my same age too. If if I were to plant a second church. I've got to do it like right now because I do, even though I think you need, even though I think it's very good to be a little more seasoned. Well, I think a lot more seasoned than the 23, 24, 25 year old seminary grad, just going straight out into church planting. I personally don't think that's the wisest move. I remember my mentor, Harry Howard McPhee, he said nobody should plant a church until they've done at least five years in an established context. Yeah, I'm interested. So Howard's been way ahead of us on all yeah, this stuff. Then I we're think, just figuring I think he's it out right. Yeah. yeah. I. Um, but why? Why? Why now? Are you? What's? What's ticking? Or what's? Well, what's because gonna last? yeah. Even though you got to start. Even though you got to start when you're a little bit older. I. You can't be too old. To start either. Like for en- energy already, levels, stage of life, for energy something? level for for ability to connect with sort of look church plants tend to attract younger people Young, younger people tra- at transition points in their life Transi- university yeah, getting yeah. married and yeah whatever yep being able to really connect well with that demographic with that age group like I- i'm even now you know i'll reference some of my favorite movies as seinfeld. an illustration <laughs> you know, yeah, the seinfeld like examples you know, aren't working as well as they used to <laughs> yeah, you know even stuff like that i'm not i mean maybe i should be maybe this is a sin and i need to con- repent of it but i i have basically turned my back on all the social media stuff like i never got into it and i've i've have no intention like i'm yeah, i have a smartphone yeah, yeah yeah i have a smartphone simply so that I can read Globe and Mail articles, right? Like, <laughs> that's, like that's why I have it. Uh, so I'm just not, I'm not super connected to yeah, the way that the I think way. you need to be. Yeah. So it's that and, and the energy level thing too. Like, honestly, I get tired quicker. You know, 10 o'clock comes around and I'm like, Ooh, check you that so watch. Like the Ooh. youth group bowling event, nine to 11. Like you're just, I'm just yeah. out. Just, oh, it's you can't awful. Do it. Lock-ins are the most horrible Lock- thing in the world. 
Yeah, and reach, reaching back to our youth. That's a, that's a really interesting comment. I hadn't thought about it from that. And I mean, you're you're verging on, you know, if we, we don't need to talk about your kids too specifically, but like, you know, grandkids could not be not that far in the future too. And then you're hitting this whole different phase of of life and things too, where there's there's multiple generations you're thinking about. I don't know. It just I can I can see your point that it's not now or never, but it's sooner never uh, in terms of in terms of planting at least. Yeah, for sure. Like if I were, I would have like I'd have one left in me, even though I'm 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 almost 50. Right. I'm 49 this year. Um, I'd have one more church plant left in me, but I'm I'm more inclined to help train young men to prepare them to plant than I am inclined to plant myself. Yeah, that makes sense. Would you would you share like let's say that the town was twenty or thirty minutes away that you're excited about planting in? Like, would it would it be like Paul drives out fifty percent of the time to preach in a in a little church plant, or you really want to find uh, someone to be the, the who the pastor who does most of the the preaching, and you kind of want to stay out of it? Or have you explored any of those kind of ideas or options? Or does it de- does it really depend on the guy or the person you find? If if we if we were to kind of do the campus model thing, then I would be I would probably be the main preacher to start. So we'd find a way for me to uh, to preach at both to start, uh, and obviously our session would oversee the the ministry there to start, um, and then probably part of the process with the site pastor would be, okay, teaching teaching how to preach uh, in this kind of context, that kind of thing. Um, and, and developing them to, to the point where you could say, okay, now you're going to be the lead guy and we're going to find an associate of some kind unordained or ordained. Like, I really think one of the things that I didn't have when I was in the established church was a colleague. Um, and one of the things I've come to deeply appreciate is the fact that I, I, I have a colleague. So when I planted Grace Valley, I did start by myself, but I did not stay by myself for long. Like within two years, I had somebody uh, alongside me as a as a colleague, and I would want I would want them to have that as well. But I, I, I like I, I I want whatever we plant. I want it to be a its own church at some point. Yeah, even if it starts very campusy, it grows into its own thing. Yeah, at some point, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, just one or two more questions. Uh, is there anything that you believe or think about church planting that is a minority opinion? Like you think most people would disagree with you uh, on this part of church planting. You got any, any hot takes, anything that you think you're in the minority about? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm in the minority, but I honestly, I honestly don't think church planters should be like under 30. Okay. Yeah. Just let's make a rule <laughs> about, about I, age. I, I mean, I, I, I can't, yeah. I mean, okay. Maybe you know what I'm saying? I'm, I don't think, I think, I think church planters should spend time in some kind of established ministry for a good while before they go to plant a church. I really, really do. And I don't know if that's a minority position or not, but I mean, the, the stereotypical picture of a church planter is a cool dude with skinny jeans and a goatee who just came out of seminary He's very socially, social media adept. Yeah. Savvy. Yeah. You know, and, and has all those sort of skills, but like when you're church planting, I was shocked at how much pastoral care was actually involved in church planting. Unbelievable how much, and you know, what does a 25 year old know about dealing with someone who's got alcoholism 
issues or their marriage is falling apart or whatever, right? So anyhow, uh, so is that a minority more minority opinion? Maybe. It, it, it might be. I'll, I'll I'll ask future guests what they think about that. I'll I'll get some twenty five year old on <laughs> ask if they thought if they thought they were ready. Um, but I think it's like I think there's something to it, especially the the pastoral side of it. It's like yes, you you may be a, a ten out of ten in your ability to kind of connect with the the issues and thoughts of the day. Uh, but are are you ready to kind of care for people and just sort of like a basic spiritual sense, walk people through through miscarriage or divorce or you know like just. Like some of those pastoral things that you, you got to do at some point, your church can't be young and hip forever. Like people have stuff, um, and, and to be able to, to deal with that. Um, yeah, I, I like it. I like it. Um, anything else the rest of Canada should know about the spiritual climate of, of Southwestern Ontario? Like we're, we're hoping to interview people from all across Canada. Think about the nation as a whole. What would you tell someone from, you know, Saskatchewan or, uh, or the Yukon territory or whatever? Like what, what do they need to know about what, what the spiritual climate of your area is like? That's a interesting question. And I don't know if it would be unique like something different in comparison to other parts of the, of, of the country. But, um, so I'll, I'll say about Dundas, which is really my context, right? Um, people are like, you have, yeah, highly educated people, many of whom have got it together and they, they're very smart and educated. Yeah. Like I said, educated, wealthy, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they're pretty, they're pretty, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word outwardly hostile, but they're definitely suspicious of Christianity, but they also still believe in spiritual things. So they'll have like a, a cross uh, on their necklace and you ask them, what's that for? And they'll say, well, it's to ward off the evil spirits. And you're like, what? You, you're a professor of psychology at the U of T. <laughs> What are you wearing a cross that, that's for warding off evil spirits for, right? We have, um, you know, we have a, a tarot, you know, we have a, 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 a what are they called? A, a psychic in town that I think does very brisk business. Um, so there's a spirit, there's a, a weird interest in spirituality, even though they're not interested in Christianity. And I, I'm hoping that that's something we can exploit and probably just got to read more Keller to figure out how. Um, <laughs> he he's probably yeah, thought about exactly. this five years ago so he, we should, so uh, that's yeah. that's something to that that is interesting about where i am um thanks for sharing thanks for sharing um if people if people want to find you or grace valley what what are, what are good ways to look you up you're not on social media don't look on for your tiktok videos but like where where <laughs> where, do, where do they find you how can they how can they get in touch uh, well, our website is www.gracevalleychurch.ca. You can look. They can email you there too. Yeah, you can email me. <laughs> I have my phone number's there, so you could call me, text me if you wanted to have contact with me. Uh, our get, get some really random midnight phone calls. <laughs> yeah. our, our services are live streamed on our website and on YouTube. So, uh, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for uh, appearing on the show. We'll have to have you back when you plant your daughter church. We can talk all about it. Um, but I uh, appreciate you, Paul. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch with us, with me, you can email me at canadianchurchplanting@gmail.com. at gmail.com, canadianchurchplanting@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We will talk to you soon.